Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, aren't you glad to be here this morning? I looked around up on the stage and uh, was noticing just how many of these uh, little youngsters were in our youth group uh, just a while ago. (laughs) Is that awesome? I say youngsters, they all have kids. This ministry raised Christina and I, and uh, we get to look around and see a whole generation of of folks who are serving uh, the Lord, not just us but serving the Lord and doing it with excellence. And I was just uh, so blessed by the worship this morning. I pray you were as well. Yeah. Uh, You'll have to forgive my uh, voice this morning just a little bit. I had that uh, nationally known critter crawl into my lung here a week or so ago, and uh, I'm testing negative for any that might be fearful, but uh, I'm far enough away, hopefully, (laughs) No nerves, just Bible this morning, okay? I want you to think about something. I got a picture for you. Anybody recognize that piece of equipment right there? That's a Jeep. And uh, for those of you who don't know what a Jeep is, it is a ticket to fun. Mark Allen, the uh, head of development for Jeep a short while ago, four years ago, Uh, was actually touting all of the ability that a Jeep has the moment that it comes off of the line. Uh, From the skid plates uh, to the torque ratio to the ability that it has just with the the four-wheel drive. And yet he gave a a startling statistic, a sad statistic. Only 15% of Jeep users, Rubicon drivers, ever take a Jeep where it was intended to go. 90% of these Jeeps will go straight off of the showroom floor and to the mall. They'll have uh, everything purchased for them right at that moment. They have a special lingo. They have a special Jeep wave that they do to each other as they're going by. They're part of a tribe. They're an excited part of the potential world, uh, the, the wide world they can now go into. But most of them afraid of a dent or a scratch or of getting abandoned uh, or because they haven't actually formed relationships with other Jeepsters, they end up sitting at the mall. That's tragic. It's tragic. They uh, have traded in the amazing opportunity for adventure, for potential. If you buy one of these, by the way, just to go on the freeway, you're going to be sad about your investment. It's terrible on the freeway. It's, it's amazing in the wild. Traded actual adventure for a look, a wave, and a special lingo. What's the point? You and I have been custom fit by the Lord for a certain type of life. And I would venture to say that the statistics are similar that maybe 15% of believers are experiencing the life that God intended for them and have traded it in for a look, a lingo, and a wave. 
but you are not experiencing what God intended you as custom fit you to experience because you're concerned about putting a dent in your life. The whole goal of this summer series has been that we would not, not learn a bit more information or stir a few more people up to uh, study theology. We've wanted to invite you into the life that God's always intended to you to have. <clears throat> he wants you to live for him every day in a rugged sense of adventure that only Christians are invited into. You have the opportunity to make a difference in a world that is aching and broken, and it should make you a little nervous. It is a little wild out there. But he says, I have anointed you. I have set you apart. I have custom fit you for the adventure. Will you trust my engineering? By the way, God is a better engineer than Jeep engineers, okay? Just trust that. <laughs> we started the series off with a statement, there is an ache in the human heart to live a life of deep meaning that leaves a trail. We're still pressing into that throughout this series, and we're going to continue to look at that in 1 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> now, I traded in my lapel mic here for this one this morning. So I'm going to ask you to uh, sit and read reverently as I do, all right? But we're going to be at the end of, uh, it, it was not intended at the beginning for Pete and I, but as we began to look at the book of First Thessalonians, uh, the statements that Paul is making to this church that had made quite a wave in Christianity at the time, the statements he's making to them are ones that really reflect our heart for you during the course of this summer. So we're going to wrap up uh, this section of 1 Thessalonians, the very end of chapter 5 is where we're going to be focusing, but I'm going to read also that passage that uh, Pete uh, covered the last time that he preached. <clears throat> Let's read this together. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 12. It says this, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. Just underline that word. Uh, it doesn't just cheerleading that should happen from this platform. Amen? I know the amens will get stronger when we get away from the word admonish. <clears throat> Verse 13. And regard them highly in love because of the work. Be at peace among yourselves. Command. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So not just for the church, but everyone you bump into. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Our focus for this morning, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Do you believe God intends us to understand that this morning? <clears throat> he does. 
In your notes, uh, Paul's prayer is that the Thessalonians would find their meaning in God's plan for their life. That's his prayer. He sums up this entire book at the very end. After telling them there is this amazing testimony that's gone out about you, he says, and it's not just a testimony about faithfulness. It's not just a testimony about your uh, advancement of the gospel. But he says, it's the testimony of the transformation that happened in you because you received God's word for what it really is, not words of man. It's not the word of one church or one apostle or one pastor to a group of people. It is literally God's word. And he says, you took that as God's word and said, I'm gonna respond to the Lord with my whole life. And it transformed the church. But not only that, their eagerness to live out everything that God had called them to do and be impacted all of Christianity at the time. He says, everyone's talking about what has happened in you. Don't you want to be a church like that? Where other churches aren't streaming to you, but they are growing where they're at because of the encouragement they get from you as you live your faith and you say, hey, you can do this too. And they right where the witness needs to remain, flourish in their place because of the testimony of your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? How cool would it be if you as an individual or if we as a church were an encouragement to other believers, stay faithful, God will fulfill his word. He says, this is what's happened in you. I want us to look at this statement. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's emphasizing something here. And I'll break it down in a way that we've, we've done uh, multiple times here before. I want us to look at the theology of it. I want us to look at the psychology of it. And I want us to look at the doxology of it. Theology, what does it say about God? Psychology, what's it going to do in your brain if you really wrap your mind around this? And doxology, why you should praise God that he prayed this prayer. First, the theology of it. He says this, now may the God of peace, <clears throat> by the way, Our God is the only God who can give you full peace. Do you know that? From the greeting that he inspired, shalom, to the life that he inspires, to the way that you can face the trials of our day, only our God can give peace. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's an important word. What does it actually mean to be sanctified? And what does Paul mean when he's praying? that you might be sanctified completely. Pause and consider that for a moment. Forgive me. It's really like there's a small mouse in my throat. I'm sorry for the image. We'll probably have to uh, record second service. Sanctification, in essence, is to be set aside for holy use, to be set apart. Uh, It's closely tied to another word, consecration, where they would uh, come along to the implements that were going to be used inside of the temple complex, and they would anoint them with oil. But when you actually set something apart, you don't just anoint it and say, that's a holy thing. What use would it have been to an Israelite? If somebody had gathered 12 stones, imagine the priest is out there and he's in the field and God's command was, when you make an altar, don't hit it with any iron, don't reshape it. 
just take those stones as they are and place them into, and he would call 12, the picture of the 12 tribes. By the way, it's a reminder to us when he calls us a, a temple, when uh, our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit, when we're called together as little tabernacles of God, it's a reminder. Don't hew them with stone. In other words, I, I want you to pull these things in just as they are. You don't need to get cleaned up to come to church. God wants to put you into a useful position just as he designed you. And here he has these 12 stones that he has <clears throat> stacked together. And a priest, imagine him for a moment, anointing that altar with oil. It's consecrated. It's sanctified. That is a place that is holy. <clears throat> but he wants to use that altar, right? And remember, they would have sacrifices that would go on there, a picture of Christ's sacrifice for us. But imagine that the priest just anoints that calls it a holy place, and everybody that walks by there would see that anointed place and say, oh, that's, that's separated, that's holy to the Lord. But imagine that he never, ever uses it. Imagine the, the candles that are set out there. Imagine the showbread. Imagine the tabernacle itself. Also, the word consecrated is used for that. Imagine that you consecrate a building and a location where people, where priests would be able to come and mediate between man and God, where they would lift up this picture of Jesus Christ. Imagine that that place is anointed, but nobody ever goes in. They just walk by the building after it's anointed and say, oh, no, that's a holy place. And they don't ever go there. There is no smoke on the altar. There is no picture of Christ, no activity. He says, I have anointed you, and, and may you be sanctified completely, not just anointed, prepared for use, not just ready for the adventure, but actively being used to fulfill God's plan. The temple was of no use if it wasn't filled with active members. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You can't have peace unless Jesus was active on our behalf. And he's saying the same God that is active on our behalf is calling you to be sanctified completely, not just anointed for ministry, but that you would be actively doing what you were called to do. <clears throat> it's set apart for holy use. Sanctification, according to our theology, and uh, we don't have time to unpack all of that and the scriptures that back it up. It's used this way in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But it's a position and a process. The moment that you get saved, God says, I have set you apart. That's not only right here, but the, you, you from that moment forward have been set apart by God. You have a special relationship with him. You're going to see him in eternity. Aren't you thankful for that? But it's also a process. Do you know that there are some things that you probably have participated in in the last few years that God would say, you know, we might want to get rid of that? some habits that need to be removed, some things that are not part of the holy process. It's a process. But he says, may he sanctify you completely. In other words, may he continually pull you away from those things and put you in those places where the holy use he intended for you as an individual to complete that you might do those holy things. We have replaced sanctification with optics in Christianity. <clears throat> There's an author, Rob Singleton, in uh, a book called Overliked, where he's taking a look at our addiction uh, to being liked, to getting likes online. 
He says it's the same kind of thing, the same kind of dopamine response that we get when we eat chocolate or take drugs. We are searching for the culture around us to like us. And the result, and uh, we'll just jump to the seven points here. He says, believing an image can be deadly, and yet for a lot of people, image is everything. Consider some areas where perception has replaced reality. One, appearing as if we're having a good day online is more important than admitting we need help. You don't have to say amen if that's you, but just say la. Feelings in our culture have become more important than facts. Political correctness is more important and believable than actual truth. Ideology is more important than history. Spin is more important than accuracy. Group identity is more important than who you actually are. Let that one soak in for a moment. Whom I identified with is more important than who I actually am before the living God. And finally, readership is more important than correct reporting. We have become a nation where the optics of everything trumps the reality of anything. In so many ways, our own feelings of self-worth are directly tied to the way others perceive us. No wonder we try so hard to spin our lives. He goes on to say the irony of it is when the telescope was actually developed, originally optics was meant to take all of the things that were fuzzy and make them clear. But in our current culture, when we talk about optics, we take something that's really obvious and we try to make it fuzzy so nobody sees what is clear and they become confused. We spin things so we don't get left holding the bag when the truth that we say is our truth is outed as no truth at all. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. I have set you apart for a specific purpose. I want you to be more of what I intended you to be. I want you to be that in such a way that you don't have to fear what anybody sees. You don't need to worry about the optics. You don't need to worry about anything other than pleasing me. Be set apart and focus on my will and my heart and you will be the truest version of yourself. That's the theology of it. Most of us spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get a blessing. What Paul says at the very beginning is, you are blessed now, go and live the life that God intended for you. That's the theology of it. But I want you to think about the psychology of it for a moment. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord. Everything that it means to be a human. People get lost on uh, the fact that Paul uses three here. What he's trying to make sure that you see is everything that you do, everything that's going on inside your mind, everything that makes up who you are should be set apart to the Lord. There shouldn't be a front visible part and a secret part. He says, may all of you be sanctified. Throw your whole case into this. Get lost in serving God. Get lost in making him your focus. Living out your calling Living out what God has called you to be helps you to get lost in the right things. An author, uh, a writer, a speaker by the name of Bob Goff was talking about uh, a moment that he had. Uh, He was going to a speaking engagement, 
The guy said, hey, I'd love to pick you up at the airport. And, and he said, that'd be great. So his driver meets him at the airport. And in the course of their 45-minute journey back to uh, where he was going to be staying, <clears throat> the guy begins to unpack just a story from his own life. Um, his father had stopped at a hotel at one point, and he was just bothered by the experience. The experience was so terrible for his family. They were used to catering to businessmen that were off on their own. Um, so if you brought along a wife or children, there was extra fees. They had to pay extra money for uh, each of the children that were there. There was no accommodations that was made for them. It wasn't fun for them uh, to be in that location whatsoever. And he was so off-putting to his father. Uh, he said that it changed his entire uh, focus for his life. And uh, as he's just kind of wrapping up the story, Bob's like, man, I, I think this story probably has a lot of legs to it. He's just sitting there listening. And they show up at the hotel as the story is coming to a close. And his driver pops open the door and gets his bags out for him. And he says, hey, let me walk you in. And he begins to walk him into this hotel. And somebody says, hey, Mr. Wilson, how are you doing? And he says, oh, that's good. And Bob says, man, I... I thought, wow, he must come here a lot, or it must be a friend that he knows from the community. And then somebody at the front desk says, hey, Mr. Wilson. And then one of the maintenance guys says, hey, Mr. Wilson. He goes, hey, are you somebody important here? (laughs) You a frequent flyer, or uh, you like, do you own the place? He says, joking. And he says, well, you can say that. My dad is Kemmons Wilson. Uh, the guy who started at the end of that story was so frustrated with experience, they, they started Holiday Inn. And in 1950, they started their first one. Faith was important to him. And every single hotel that they did, every single room that they had, they put a Bible in that room. And within 10 years, they had 1,000 hotels that they were a part of. And now that chain has become an international brand. So do I own this one? Yeah, I own a lot of them. But the most important thing to him in the discussion that was there was that he was known as a believer and a guy who prayed over the people who would stay in those rooms that somehow the way that they would serve would point to something higher than just their experience when they were there. He had lost himself in the purpose that his family had, not just to provide a good hotel chain, but to provide a place where faith and family were well accepted. That was his mission. What have you gotten lost in? When people look at your life, what is it that defines you? How has Christ touched your life and sanctified the activities that he's wired you to love? We have people right now in this auditorium this morning who have been a part of Be Bold. Do you know that they're serving now, that uh, this last week, the last report I got last night, some 44 folks that are coming out of the cartels have given their life to Jesus Is that crazy? He sent me a picture. I didn't know if it was okay to put up on the screen, so I didn't bring it up here. But uh, from an active cartel member, he says, we're walking by bags of dope as we go into the place. The guy gave his life to Jesus, and he said he wanted me to, to tell the same story to his wife, who then gave her life to Christ, and they're renouncing being a part of the cartel and trafficking. It's a dangerous renunciation. But they found that free gift of of Christ. Now, be bold. I need you to understand this, folks. Inspired by Jesus Christ, started by people from this church, but not an outgrowth of Salem Heights. It's an outgrowth of somebody saying, Lord, you've wired me this way and I can reach these people. Will you use me? And he has. Wake the World is about to do uh, another great event. 
Uh, when you run into Vince Castronovo, you run into a short, fiery little Italian. I don't know if you know him. The, the West Coast has been filled with his advice. He ran into a group of guys because he loved being out there on the boats. Here uh, he is working with groups like Camp Agape and others. We have a bunch of folks that are serving at Camp Agape this morning. They're not here because they are there serving kids who have a parent that's in prison. Once again, not a ministry started by this church, but people saying, I know that I love this group of people. There's a free clinic in town that you can be a part of. Do you know that they've been asking for people to be able to pray with individuals, that they share the gospel with folks who have no access to medical care, who are embarrassed about their status, and they come in and they're able to share not only the good news with them, but they're able to give them medical help in a time of need. Have you ever been there? And come alongside those folks. A free clinic in town. Acres of Hope. Just right across here, a a ministry that you could participate in where they use horses to come alongside troubled kids. You say, I don't know if I have the ability to speak to individuals. Well, could you brush down a horse and clean a stall? Could you do that for the Lord? If you're worried that there might not be a role that is custom fit for you and your personality and your direction, you just need to submit that to the Lord because he has actually made you to reach a certain group of people right now. It doesn't have to be one size fits all. It doesn't have to be a ministry at this church. In fact, we wanted to emphasize that. We can't start enough ministries to activate all of you, but you are already perfectly suited and placed by God. May he sanctify you completely. May you allow him to use you where you're at. It helps you get lost in the right things, but living out your calling also makes you disaster proof. There's some ecologists in Auckland, and they found this thing called a zombie tree. Does that look ugly? Lazarus tree, here's the weird thing. That stump is alive. <clears throat> the rest of the remains of that tree, it's been so long since it's fallen over that the rest of the remains of the tree are not even visible. The entire thing had fallen over and broken. But when they came by and they touched this stump, they found that it still had live uh, cells in it. It was still weeping sap. It was still acting just as an active tree. And they began a study. This is what ecologists do, right? They wander through and they put Latin names on things. Uh, And then they begin to study weird uh, phenomenon. All of the trees in this grove around, they're not all the same type of tree. But because there were certain resources in a part of the forest that were necessary in order for the trees to thrive, and because there was access to water in another part of the forest, their root systems underneath the ground, underneath what you could see, had become intertwined, and they had basically begun resource sharing. These trees are so intertwined they're in their root systems uh, that they not only shared resources from one part of the forest to another through their root system, but when this stump experienced a tragic moment, in other words, everything that it should mean to be alive gets cut off. This stump is disaster-proof because it is interconnected with these other trees They refuse to let this stump die. Now just pause and think about this. One of the concerns we have coming out of COVID is whether or not church will come back strong. Do you want to know one of the reasons that you need to be in this place with other people? 
Because the little roots and the tendrils of your life and some of the resources that you touch and the way that you bless the people around you are needed by those other individuals. The things that you bring out in them, the things that you add to their life. When we rub shoulders, yeah, there may be some irritation. We may be a little overwhelming to other people because we've been able to live our best life in front of the TV with the refrigerator open and the pause button ready, right? But that resource sharing also makes you disaster proof. When something tragic hits your life, all of the other members come around and they share and they bless and they refuse to let you die. As an extension of Christ's love through them, they share their resources with you. If I were to ask people to stand in this room, and I won't, whether or not you have experienced something tragic and you saw God's people, instead of rejecting you, come around you and in small, beautiful ways, lift you up when you needed it in a desperate moment, I believe most of the auditorium would stand. <clears throat> May he sanctify you completely, and that means may you let down your guard and begin to share and bless the people that are in the room and the people that are in our city. It makes you disaster-proof, but finally, it leaves you confident. A man, a pastor by the name of Steve Carter, <clears throat> wrote a book recently called The Thing Beneath the Thing. He shares a moment where he kind of went crazy uh, he said as he was going through a transition in his own life, he just realized there was something inside him that was becoming irritable at the world around him. And he began to study what it is that actually was setting that off. <clears throat> and he said it was a thing that was beneath the thing that set him off. <clears throat> That's a really a, a dramatic water pause right there, but... <clears throat> <laughs> Hold on, it gets better. I almost put the cap on my mic. <clears throat> the thing beneath the thing, here's the, th the thing that he highlighted, an acronym. When you and I are not paying attention to our life, there are triggers <clears throat> that will set us off. We need other people around us to be able to highlight, hey, these things might be triggering you, but there are triggers that set you off. That's the T. H, hideouts, metaphoric places where we go to escape the pain of our story. As soon as you get triggered by something in the world, many of you will run to something that is not Scripture and not the Lord. Instead of being sanctified completely, you run to other things. Triggered, run to a hideout, insecurities, why do we run to those hideouts? Because we're telling ourselves a false story about ourselves. Narratives. We begin to also share false stories about other people. You look around in the room and you assume that they are talking about you or that they have an opinion of you. And this is what the enemy uses to drive you away. Not sanctified thinking. Satanic thinking. Separated thinking. Triggers, hideouts, insecurities, narratives. But here's the key to the thing beneath the thing. If you want to survive, you got to focus on grace. That ongoing process and spiritual power <clears throat> that makes us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. He could have used the word sanctified there. I think it would have sold the book a little better because it would have said thins, and who doesn't want to be that? <clears throat> the thing beneath the thing. The psychology of this, now may the Lord... The God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, 
soul, and body be kept sound and blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus. May you, instead of getting triggered by the world and hiding out and telling yourself false things about you and telling yourself false stories about others, may you experience grace and begin to serve in the middle of the mess so that their resources come into your life and so that your resources go into theirs and we all move forward in a way that is holy and highlights a God of peace rather than the same shambles that the world is experiencing. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's the psychology of it. Theology of it, God has already set you apart. He has anointed you. It would be, it would be sad if we did not walk in that experience. The psychology, if you live that out, it's going to change your experience, give you resources you didn't know that you had, and it's going to give you an energy to live the adventurous life that God has set you apart. But the doxology of it, listen to what he says. Verse 44, and he who calls you is faithful. <clears throat> he will do it. You might say, I, I don't know if I can do this. The reason that I haven't been, li- I've, I've known that God wants me to do these things. I've loved coming and listening to the classes. I've loved being a part of all of this. I don't know if I can take the next step. This is what he prays in his prayer. He says, he who calls you, if Jesus is your savior, if you put your faith in him, then he is. He who calls you is faithful. He'll do it. And by that, he's not going to stop pressing until you do it. How do I stop worrying about what others think and start living what God thinks? You just yield. You say, Lord, allow me to take one more step for you today. May you sanctify me completely. Father, may you help me to live in such a way that I won't be embarrassed if you come back today. I won't be ashamed to show you the life that I've been living. I won't be afraid that you would uncover some area and the rest of Christianity would see what the real emphasis of my life has been. He who called you is faithful. He'll do it. And we ought to praise him for that promise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to be able to apply these things. You are calling us to a life where we are fully submitted. We are living the adventure that you intended for us as believers. Help us, Father, to follow through. I pray that you would cause us, not just as Salem Hiders, but our extended relationships, the believers that we mix it up with on a daily and weekly basis, help them also to be polished and connected, to feel like resources have been shared with them to face the struggles that they are facing. Father, we pray that you would use us, that you would cause us to be excited doers of the word, not just hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.